Okay, next I just want to introduce our workshop chairperson, and uh, I've had the opportunity to hear him speak, and I, I've really enjoyed him. I think he's going to be real good this morning. Um, one of the things I like about him, he's one of those AA speakers that I, I agree with him, and uh, so, you know, that helps. Um, I'm, I'll just let him take over. Come on up, Chris. Uh, my name is Chris Raymer, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, it's an amazing thing. You know, uh, I made some copies I'll give out at the end of this little deal. I, I, I made about 75. I figured if we had 20 people show up on a, on a Saturday morning at 11 o'clock right before lunch, it'd be a miracle. You know, and so some of you guys may have to fight for some of these copies. But uh, what James said is true. Uh, the people... The people that can identify with what I'm saying, nine times out of ten are real alcoholics who are chronic relapsers, who have tried it every other way and didn't work. And they finally went to what we just read in How It Works. God could and would if He were sought. And we've done everything else under the sun and now we do this. And so, thank you, you know, and... and Everybody else out here, I know a bunch of you in the audience, I'm going to be speaking to the choir for some of you. Some of you, I'm, I'm fixing to make real uncomfortable. <laughs> and that's okay too. You know, this is a cool thing. This is a little workshop deal. And ordinarily when I speak from the podium, I get a chance to give my little story and you guys get a chance to come up after the meeting and take exception with everything I've said. And it, that's a cool thing. And, it, you know, talking at 11 o'clock, you know, that gives all the other speakers the rest of the weekend to take pot shots at me. And, that, and that's cool too. And they will. And they will. Because you see, I've got this reputation of being real controversial. And and uh, wasn't always like that. I used to give my story. Uh, didn't give it very often because nobody really wanted to hear what I got to say. But uh, what happened was uh, I got tired of watching people die in this fellowship. And I got tired of watching people sit in these rooms and say, Well, God damn it, i got 15 years sobriety, but I'm, I'm contemplating suicide. You know, I got tired of people not understanding that you can recover from this illness called alcoholism. And I'll tell you, we've got some drug addicts in here. You can recover from that too. You can just substitute the word with what everything I'm saying this morning because it's applicable in this particular sense. I don't believe as drug is a drug is a drug. I'm not here to, I don't believe that shit. Uh, ask any crack addict. He'll tell you, you know, I mean, this is a joke. But I believe in, this, in the context that we're talking about here, I think we can substitute everything what we're talking about because it absolutely works. Um, November 13th, 87... I uh, uh, listened to Jim this morning. I, you know, we, our stories were the same. <laughs> I wasn't an artist. I was a professional chef. And other than that, I mean, our stories were identical. And, uh, and I, uh, I started drinking in, in the big shot bars in Houston and doing all the cool things that we all do, drinking in the, in the Houston Oaks and up in the Galleria Clubs, you know, and just all that. Neat. And, and I ended up in Louisville, Texas, drinking Shaper Light. Black label, shaper light, nothing but the best for Chris Raymer. And I, and I took a quart of that stuff and a bottle of pills that I'd been stockpiling forever um, and tried to just check out. You know, I'm an identical twin. I have a, I have a wonderful family. I have plenty of love in my family, uh, uh, a bright future. Uh, but the internal condition was so uncomfortable for me, I could not stand. 
I couldn't stand it. And, and I'm suffering from a thing we call alcoholism. And, and whether I'm drinking or I'm not drinking, I'm still uncomfortable inside. You follow what I'm saying? Jim was talking this morning, you know, about being sober 10 days and thinking that he, he set the world on fire. You know, you, you've been sober 10 days, but it feels like you've been sober 10 years. Because you're, you're, I mean, how much longer can we hold on, white knuckle? See? I tried to commit suicide, and at the last minute, I had my little moment of clarity. And I was talking to James earlier. We'd, we, we, we had... Similar spiritual experiences. I believe I heard the word of God say, Chris, you have never given the fellowship of AA a try. You've been around it for, for eight years. You've been going to hundreds of meetings. You've been doing everything. they, You know, you, you dated their women. You drank their coffee. You know, you pissed and moaned in their meetings. You know, you, you, you occupied their time. But you, but you really never did do what the book asked you to do. We just read how it works. You never did do that, did you? <laughs> No, I didn't. I made myself sick that night, and I aborted that suicide attempt. And the next day, as sick as I was, I found my way back into another AA meeting. I'm going to tell you straight going in the door, it wasn't an AA meeting like any other AA meeting. It was an AA meeting where everybody was carrying big books. Now, you've got to hear what I'm saying. Everybody was carrying big books. From the brand new sobriety to the old coots, they all had a point of reference. And they were on the table and they were ready to use them. And there was no opinion sharing in that meeting. Everybody came out of the book. It wasn't a big book study. It was a, 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 an AA meeting like AA was supposed to be. It was a pep rally where we talked about the power of God. And that's what I needed to hear. Because I was so depressed I just wanted to die. Yes, I'm 24 hours away from a suicide attempt. But I'm ready to go back there right now. Because I, I got no alcohol or drugs in my body. And I'm coming apart at the seams. You follow what I'm saying? I'm sitting in that meeting detoxing and those people loved me enough to spill out my spilt coffee and pat me on the head and say, Buddy, you know, this ain't just about coming to meetings. This is about working some steps. And what we want you to do is we want you to recover from this bullshit. And I'm going to start off right now and tell you right now, I have a tendency to cuss on occasion. I apologize going in the door. It is disrespectful and I'm trying to get better at it. I am better at it. There's no trying to it. I'm I'm doing great. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) those people loved me enough to tell me the truth and I'll forever be grateful to those people and let me tell you something most of those people that were in that room that night are still sober today because they continue to work the steps and they continue to do what we're talking about Sandy earlier Bless her heart. Thanks for, for asking me to come do this. Uh, it took a lot of courage. She, first thing off her mouth when she calls me on the telephone, she says, she says, uh, Chris, I heard your tape and I, I just got to tell you right off the bat, I, I, I don't like you. You know, <laughs> she said, but after listening to it a while, I, I realized that what you have to say is, and I understand that. I've said this, I think, every time I've spoken, the last five years especially. I would like nothing better to come up here and do this little workshop and say nothing controversial and tell you a few sad stories. And I can, Folks, I got it in me. I could have you guys crying in your seats. I, I, I spent a lot of time eating out of dumpsters in Houston, Texas. I could tell you some sad stories. You know, but, but, but let me tell you something. Eleven years sober today, my life is... I have had a spiritual experience as a result of working the steps. 
Okay, James? And, 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 I, and, I, and I can't come up here and, and try to pull you with my war stories. What I can do, though, is pull you with a vision of what your life can be like when you recover from this stupid illness. You see this little thing down here on the front here? I almost wept yesterday when I saw it. I didn't realize. I guess I've seen it on the flyer, but I didn't notice it. Our common solution. It's one of my favorite pages in the big book. On page 17 in the big book, it says, we have a, this common problem, and our common problem is one thing that ties us together. Right? James is a real alcoholic. I'm a real alcoholic. Jim is a real alcoholic. I'm my friend Ray. I've shared the podium with him before. He's a real, real McCoy. You know, I mean, pants pissing son of a gun. You know, I don't know what to say. You know, I just, I, I, I it's just. <laughs> How do you know what you don't know? If you've never been there, you don't understand. And see, this is this is the platform I'm on today. You see, because all of a sudden I'm looking around the room, and and it's pretty ludicrous. It's absolutely stupid of me to think that every one of us is on the same playing field. Because we're not. You see, some of us in this room are real alcoholics. There's three, four places in the big book where Bill Wilson talks about the real alcoholic. Folks, he wanted us to make the distinction. By God, if you're a real alcoholic, there are certain things that you must hear in order to survive this disease. If you're not... All the other peripheral stuff in the world might help you stay sober. If you can get through this little piece with me, I think it's the only really controversial thing I'm going to say up here. Everybody in AA is not alcoholic. Bill Wilson, I I understand it. Bill Wilson understood in the very front of the book on page 20. Why? I happen to have a copy right here. But let's find out. You see, because if you're the real McCoy, if you're properly diagnosed, there is only one solution for you. What did the book say? The book said God could and would if he were sought. My solution is the same as Ray's. i got to have a spiritual experience. Now, would it be nice if I got all this other stuff treated on the side? Yes, absolutely. Is my life going to get better when I get all that treated? Absolutely. But nothing is going to change me around the drinking unless it's by God. Now, that's what the book says. This is not Chris Raymer's opinion. This is not some treatment center crap. And I work at a treatment center and I'll take their inventory too. This has got nothing to do with treatment. This has got nothing to do with therapy. This has got nothing to do with process group. This has got nothing to do with your effing feelings. This has got to do with a relationship with God. Period. End of statement. That's what Bill Wilson said. That's what Dr. Bob... That's the combined experience of the first 100... You will have a spiritual experience if you're an alcoholic or an addict, or you will die. You will drink again. I feel so much better having said that. I just, I can't tell you. It just makes me so tingly. Because, folks, that's the truth. They say, Chris, you get so passionate up there. I get passionate because I'm not lying to anybody. I'm not blowing smoke up anybody's butt. And let me tell you something, folks, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to, well, let's talk about it now. Everybody says, oh, Chris, but you're so opinionated about this. You see, there's other ways to get sober. You see, but I disagree. Again, if you're the real alcoholic, the book says that we have to have a spiritual experience. Now, if you just happen to be a moderate drinker or a hard drinker, like the book talks about that we're fixing to read, then maybe you, maybe that little warm, bubbly bath with all the candles can help you. <laughs> maybe thinking through the drink can fix you. If you have the power to do that. But you see the book, I'm saying again, in three places that I can take you to right directly. It says, if you're one of us, the real alcoholic, the man and woman on page 21. You have placed yourself beyond human aid. 
What's AA? Group of humans, isn't it? What's my therapist? What's my treatment center? What's the church? Now, folks, I'm not trying to be a horse's patoot up here. I'm just saying we're a collection of human beings. You can all help me, but there's not one of you in there. I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care how connected you are that can guarantee me a relationship with God. <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous, if you pick up, if you pick up any, any uh, index anywhere... You get the Hazelton, you know, the catalogs, or you go out here, you know, look up, look up the, the National Library of Congress. It's got the big book under self-help. But you see, everybody like, but see, but we've missed the point, you see, because, because that's what I was trying to do, folks, for eight years, was trying to help myself. Right? I can't help myself. Something Sandy said that was so succinct this morning. So she, she said, she, she made the distinction between being in recovery and being recovered. And, 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 and I want to make the same distinction. I, I'm a recovered alcoholic. Let me tell you something, folks. I am not perfect, obviously. But I'm telling you this. The desire to drink and drug left me two weeks into the fellowship. Two weeks after finally coming back. Eight years in and out of the program. I am not in recovery. I am not a recovered anything. I'm just a fruitcake trying to hold on to everything dear and near and dear. And two weeks into recovery with a sponsor's help and a bunch of loved ones just like you guiding me, holding me accountable. I got out of my truck in Louisville, Texas and the desire to drink and drug had left me. And has never returned. Now folks, if you don't call that recovery, I don't know what is. You know, we keep letting everybody off the hook and we keep wanting to play with these words in the big book. We, we keep wanting to put our own goddamn interpretations on what this means. What do you think Bill Wilson really meant? Well, Jesus, you know, he says recovered hundreds of times in the book. I think he means what he said. On the very title page, it says, how many thousands of men and women have recovered? It means that they woke up one morning and the desire to drink had left them. Now, that's recovered. Folks, I don't, I don't care what. Are they still nutcases? Do they still have relationship problems? Do they still have other areas they need to deal with? Well, yeah, of course. Man, listen, I got a stepson that's driving me crazy. I don't know nothing about kids. This kid's 11 years old, and, and I, you know, I, I'm not condoning child abuse, you know, but. But I just got to say that I understand a little bit more. I'm a little more empathetic with what's going on here. You know, I'm one of those that used to sit around the meetings and listen to people talk about their kids. I says, ah, you know, why don't you grow up? Who's the adult? You know, you just, they're just, they're just little people. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're little monsters. And I guarantee you they know where every one of your buttons is. And I'm having a hell of a time with mine. You know, I, do I still need to work on this? Of course. Am I seeing somebody special on the side, i.e. a therapist to brown this? Yes. Because I don't want to be a bad father. I had a great father. He was a drunk, but he was as gentle and kind. And I don't know where that stuff comes from. But that's not me. I, I have very little patience with the little guy. And I need some help with that. You follow me? Five, six years ago when Jeannie and I got married. You know, I, don't, I didn't know how about being married. I didn't know. Uh, I, can't, I can't even spell monogamous. What am, I, what am I talking about in here? You know, I mean, I, and I need some help with that. I need to go in there. And so, so, so do I find a good therapist? Did I find somebody to talk to about that? So the, some of the women in the fellowship to help me work with that? Yes, yes. But I recovered from alcoholism 11 years ago. <laughs> I mean, let's cut to the chase. We got people sitting around. I hear it in meetings all the time. Well, you didn't get this sick overnight. You're not going to get well overnight. You, you know, how sanctimonious are you? I mean, who's the one killing people with their goddamn opinions? Where does it say that in the big book? 
Bill Wilson had a spiritual experience sitting in Towns Hospital working on his ninth step, folks. He was still detoxing when he had his spiritual experience. Dr. Bob, a little less than two weeks. Alcoholic number three, a little less than a week. Already worked the steps. They're out there working with other alcoholics within the week. And we tell these cats to sit around and take their time. Oh, Mike, you're not ready to work with anybody. You've only been sober six... God tells you when you're ready, folks. God tells you. When you slow down and do the work with a sponsor who's had a spiritual experience and you have your own spiritual experience, I don't give a rat's butt if you're two days sober. It's time to go work with another alcoholic and an addict. Folks, we're losing the battle out there. I do clerical work for a treatment center and I get hundreds, hundreds, thousands of people through that treatment center a year. I need to tell you this. For six years, we've watched people come through this facility and it's a great facility and I'm not taking any... It's no better, no worse than anybody else's. But I'm just sitting there just saying, I've got this little microcosm that I get to work on that I get to watch. And what's the true thing about all of them. All of them come to us through AA and NA and CA. All of them come to us through the 12-step movement. And they come into my rooms and then they get this look of disappointment when they look up on our walls and they see the 12 steps of the 12 traditions and they go, oh shit, more of this. I said, well, what's up, Bubba? I said, I did AA and it didn't work. No, you did the same thing I did for eight years. You sat around the rooms and talked stuff. For eight years. You, 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 you sat in the meetings. You drank the coffee. You did a lot of other stuff. But you didn't actually do what we just read in the book. Which was called How It Works. You didn't do that, did you? Well, I, I did it to the best of my ability. I just want to puke. Well, you show me in the book where it talks about that. The book, this is a yes or no question. Did you start on the title page and do everything it asked you to do up to page 164? Did you do all three inventories that the four-step did? Did you go make all your damned amends? And are you actively out there working with other alcoholics? Folks, recovery is guaranteed if you do those things. It's a promise that the book tells you. Have you done the work or not? Well, no. <laughs> then, then you be quiet. Sit down. I mean, let's look at this thing with an open mind, folks. I'm looking around the fellowship and I'm seeing a whole bunch of people out there who've got some time under their belt sober, but they're powder dry, they're miserable. That's not recovered. That's, that's, I'm not saying you're not going to go through bad times. Folks, I, you know, I, I had a bicycle accident a year ago and, and, and hit a stupid deer on a bicycle. I think I'm the only person in the world that's ever done that. And I, <laughs> And, and, and no, the deer didn't live either. I mean, I, it was a tough deal. And I was lucky I survived that son of a gun. I still got a pin sticking out my shoulder to prove it. But I, I'm saying, I'm saying, you know, why would that happen to me? I'm out there carrying the message. I mean, I'm because life just happens, you know. Why does my wife get migraines? Who, who knows? Y'all understand what I'm saying? Why do people die? Why do people get sick? Why do we go through financial problems? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. But can you get through all of that with grace and dignity? Of course you can, because we see people in the fellowship do it every day. But what the problem is, I believe, I believe, is that we just don't hold enough people accountable about this thing. You see, if Mary's not happy, we need to stop patting her on the head and saying, keep coming back, it'll work. We need to say, why aren't you working the damn steps that got us to a place where we can be happy, joyous, and free? Why aren't you doing the same thing we did? You follow me? Everybody wants to let everybody off the hook. Oh, well, we have to treat the women different. Well, we have to treat the African-Americans different. We have to treat the Mexicans different. We have to treat the, the Vietnam vets. They all get treated different. Uh, you know, the, the people that were molested, they have to be treated different. The people that... 
Folks, stick with me for just a second. And please, please, please let me back out of this hole I've just dug myself. I'm not saying that all of that's not important. It is. But show me in the first 164 pages where it says that that's the key to keep you, keep you sick. The book says no matter what your present circumstances, it says it on page 100, you're fixing to get taken to a different place if you will but submit to this process. God's power is infinite. And I'll argue with anybody about that. You want, I, you, you want to do the same thing to me that I did to you for eight years. Well, but you don't understand. We could all do it in unison. My case is different. Oh, yeah, tell me, tell me how your case is different. Oh, man. We get this great little, again, this little microcosm there at the treatment facility. We get to see these people come in and they'll drive into their big limo and they've just got out of their big jet, you know, at Mooney Airport. And, and they'll come in and they'll, and the guy, you know, he'll get out. It's just they, wet pants, you know, and he says, oh, yeah, you're, well, you're cool, aren't you? You know, uh, shit, yeah, half a million dollar jet and you're still pissing your pants. Why? Because it's got nothing to do with money, does it? See? He walks into SEU and the little special care unit down there and he's sitting right next to a little housewife who's got a wife-beating husband and they're living in a little burned-out trailer and there's no electricity on and and bless her little heart, she's trying to raise them babies the best she can, you know, but but she's eating a few too many pills, you know, and she's drinking a little bit more than she needs to. You follow me? And she looks at that rich son of a bitch and says, God, if I had your money, I would never have to drink. Right? And he's looking back at her and says, Jesus Christ, you just got a couple of kids. I mean, why, don't you lo- why don't you lose the son of a bitch you're married to and everything will be okay. See? It's easy to look and, and, and judge everybody around us and point a finger and tell them what they need to do to get sober. You see, but Bill Wilson intuitively understood that it wasn't about our circumstances. Let's get down to brass tacks here. Raise your hand if you want to participate. If you don't, that's cool too. How many of you drank and drugged when you had a whole lot of money in your pocket? How many of you drank and drugged when you didn't have any money in your pocket? How many of you drank a drug when you lived in a big city like Houston and Set? Yeah? How many of you drank a drug when you lived in a little chicken chip place like Ingram, Texas? For Christ? I know. There ain't nothing in Ingram, Texas but sheep looking for daddies. I can tell you that. It is small. It is small. How many of you drank a drug when you were in a great relationship? How many of you drank a drug when you didn't have a, any kind of relationship? Yeah? We just, why'd you just leave your damn hands up? You see, because what we're doing is we're cutting to the chase here. Your drinking and drugging is exasperated by a lot of this stuff. Is loneliness a cause of some of it? Yes. It'll, 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 it'll make you drink more. Is, is, is fear? One of, yes, yes, yes. And we go on down the road. Is poverty? Some, yes, yes. But did it cause it? The book says we've got to get down to causes and conditions. What's the bottom line? Could it possibly be that you're a member of a very small segment of this world that's just wired different than other people? About 10% of the population in the world, folks, is alcoholic. I don't know why. Nobody seems to know. I have an identical twin brother that's an alcoholic. My father was an alcoholic. My little sister, who's a year and three months younger than me, has never had a problem with alcohol at all. She drives us crazy. We always hate to get, sit down and go to dinner with her. And she sits down and, and, and gets her a drink, you know. Like she'll, she'll get her like a carta blanca, you know, some little Mexican beer. We'll sit down and eat Mexican food. And she'll sit, take a couple of sips, and then she'll start the old, the old messing with the, the label. You know, she'll be peeling the label, and she'll be talking and visiting. And I'm looking at Myers, and Myers, my brother, he's looking at me, and we're just saying, you know, you know finally it just... You know, are you going to drink that or not? <laughs> I mean... You know, we got plenty of time here. We'll get you two or three. You don't have to make it last. Maybe the, the tab's on us. Drink it. You know, she, she says, no, thank you. It, it just, it tastes a little off. 
No, I said, I've seen people with wine like that. You know, slide it back across. It tastes, it tastes a little bitter. I don't care if it's got a dead cricket floating in it. Are you going to drink it or not? I mean, if you're not, I am. You know, flick that little bastard out and just go to Dan. Because I ain't drinking for the taste, folks. And I ain't drinking for the experience of the effervescence and all this other happy horse hockey. I'm drinking because I want to get downtown. I drink and drug for the effect. Isn't that right? I want to get downtown. And everybody... But you see, we talk about this in a family group. And everybody kind of looks around, kind of scratches their head. And they kind of titter and ho. I, th- I guess he's funny. I just They cannot relate to what we're talking about. Because they don't understand what we're talking about. Right? Because they have the power of choice. They believe we should have the power of choice. We are not like them. I'm going to go back to my original premise. If you're a hard drinker or a hard drugger or a moderate drinker or a moderate... Turn to page 20. Okay. Moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely if they have good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. Any of y'all out there? Yeah, really? Maybe the little girl selling raffle tickets. Uh, who knows, you know? <laughs> then we have a certain type of hard drinker. Now, this is what Bill Wilson's talking about. Bill Wilson doesn't talk about all the stupid drama. This is why we got so many kids dying in the fellowship. They can't get sober, right? This is why we have so many young adults leaving the fellowship. Because everybody wants to talk about the stupid-ass drama, but the drama's got nothing to do with it, does it? What does the book say? Then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may have had the habit badly enough to gradually impair himself physically and mentally. It may cause this buckaroo to die a few years before their time. But, here it is. If a sufficient strong reason comes along, ill health, falling in love, change in environment, a warning from a doctor becomes operative, this man or woman can also stop or moderate, although they may find it difficult and troublesome, may even need medical attention. Hard drinker. Jim was talking about this morning. God dang it. You know, this is what we're talking about. Doctor said you've got liver problem. Okay, I'll moderate. I'll stop for a day or two. And then we go right straight back to it. Given sufficient reason, it's affecting your health. Can you stop? You know what stop means, folks? (laughs) Stop. You know, uh, my kid, you know, we get in these little wrestling matches and I gig him in the side, you know, and he finally gets that look on his face and he says, stop. He means it. Don't do it again because the fun's over with. Now I'm hurting him now. I'm, I'm driving him crazy. So we just, stop means stop. What's the next sentence say? But what about the real alcoholic? See, folks, as long as we've got real alcoholics in this world, as long as we've got real addicts in this world, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing here. I'm going to keep splitting the hairs of this business so that we understand that we can recover from this thing. I'm going to apologize one more time. If you're not one of us and you think I'm abrasive with this business because I'm, I'm going against the love and tolerance and everything's okay and any way you want to do this is fine with me. If you believe that, that, that if it's working for you, go for it. But as long as there's people out here like the real alcoholic, like my friend Ray, we're going to keep talking about this because we need to understand it. There is hope. There is absolute hope for us. God, I wish somebody in 1979 had told me that. They said, keep coming back. It works. And I did for eight years and nearly died. Nobody said, idiot. It ain't, it ain't about meetings. It's about working the steps so that you can have your spiritual experience. The steps are a path to God, folks. It's not a self-help program. Let's read this paragraph. But what about the real alcoholic? He may or may not be a, hard, a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker, but at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his consumption once he starts. Follow me? 
Folks, this is what a real alcoholic is. You, again, you can substitute the word drugs in here. This is what a real drug addict is. It's about control and choice, and that's it. Period. End of statement. It's what the book says on dozens of pages. It's about control and choice. It has got nothing to do with your effing drama. I don't care how many penitentiaries you've been in. That's not why you're an alcoholic. We could sit here right now and say, all of you be therapists today and I'll be the drunk. And you're going to diagnose me with alcoholism. And I'm going to give you a little information and I'm going to say, okay, uh, I'm here to see you. Uh, I've just had uh, my second DWI and my wife and I are fixing to get a divorce. Have I given you enough information to diagnose me with alcoholism? But you see, a lot of us in the fellowship need to know this. A lot of therapists would say, absolutely, he's an alcoholic. But you see, that's not what the book said. What you need to do is start asking me two, two key questions. Exactly what the, what the book asked me. When I'm drinking, can I guarantee you every time that I can control how much I'm going to drink? Mike and I go, to the, go down here to the, to the little, little pond out here. We're going to sit in the garden and we're going to split a six pack. And I'm going to drink one and he's going to drink one. Can I guarantee you that every time I go to drink with him that I can just drink one beer? Can I guarantee you how much I'm going to drink every time? Look at your experience, folks. Look at the truth based on your experience. Well, no. I can sometimes, you know, get enough pressure on there. You know, a good-looking woman says, Chris, you know, you be a good boy. And, and maybe tonight when we get home, little pokey-pokey, okay. And so I go out and I have two beers. I have two beers at dinner and I, and I control it that night, right? If you ask me and my mind goes straight to there, then I'm fooling myself. Because what did I do the next night? She said, Chris, that works so well. Why don't we do it again tonight? <laughs> the heck with you, you know. It wasn't that good anyway. Forget it, you know. <laughs> See, because I'm not drinking. I'm not drinking. I'm drinking because I'm trying to treat that spiritual sickness inside, right? Okay. Can you, can you guarantee me you can control it every time? No. Okay. That means you have the phenomenon of craving that the doctor's opinion talks about. Now then... Exactly what we just read on page 21. If given sufficient reason, you can quit on your own. You're not one of us. Ain't that right? So the nice lady says, just exactly like Jim said, talked about this morning. He said, he said, my wife said that you need to quit. And he said, okay. Did he love that woman? Yes. Did he want to be married to her? Yes. Did he have the power to stop on his own? No. Textbook alcoholic. Nowhere in the book does it say you've got to go to prison or have DWIs or get in fights or rob liquor stores or black out or piss your pants or do anything else. No, nowhere in there. There's a bunch of that stuff in the story section in the back, but in the first 164 pages, it just talks about control and choice. And if you're one of us, folks, it will never get any better. It's a progressive illness and it will get worse and you will eventually die from it. And some of you are feeling some tension in your gut you haven't felt in years. It's like a death sentence sticking around your neck. Look at this little sign right here. Huh, huh. See, we got a common problem, folks, of this alcoholism. I wish I could control it, and I wish I could stop when I chose to do it every time, but I can't. So what do I do? Just keep drinking? The book says you'll keep drinking, or you'll seek spiritual solution. Isn't that what it says? And that brings us what we're talking about today, folks. Back in the early days of Alcoholics Anonymous, back in the early days, 1935, we came together. 1939, when we first got the big book published, recovery rates were through the ceiling. Some of this printed literature I'll give you talks about this stuff. 
I want to show you this real quick. There's some little books out there. I saw some back on the tables back there. Good book in the big book. Dick B talks about some of this, some of this, this information we're going to talk about right now. Back to basics. Wally P. out of Phoenix, great guy, talks about this stuff, about the early days of AA. History books are full of it. Archives. You go to look at the regular uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous conference approved literature. AA comes of age. And uh, pass it on, Bill, Bill Wilson's uh, autobiography. A lot of this stuff that we're talking about talks about this. Every one of these books, it explains to us how our success rate was so good back then. And what we were doing to receive that success rate. What we were doing was teaching the newcomer exactly how to stay sober. We weren't spending a whole bunch of valuable time trying to explain to people how they could stop relapsing. Relapsing is not necessary. We've got a whole industry grown up around this relapse thing. Oh, a relapse is just inevitable. No. Once the spiritual experience takes place and God's power kicks in, relapse is not necessary. The desire to drink is removed from you completely and you go through this world kicking butt and taking names. Now that's been my experience and the experience of thousands of other alcoholics and addicts that I've had the privilege to work with. Everybody that does the work and has the spiritual experience gets taken to a different place. And everybody that doesn't, doesn't. And they're the vocal majority in AA today. They're the ones that want to come up and take exception and make a bunch of goddamn excuses why this won't work. Again, am I making fun of your issues? No. Let me say something first. We're going to talk about this issue deal because that seems to be the key piece around this relapse prevention fiasco that we're dealing with here. Because everybody believes that if you can just keep yourself out of hot water and keep yourself out of situations where there's drinking and drugging, that you won't drink and drug. And I'm sitting in a room full of people who are real alcoholics that understand that that's absolute horse crap. Isn't that right? I mean, I listen to... Oh, let's do this first. In the early days of AA, if, again, if you'll pick up any of the history books and read this stuff, our success rates in the, in the uh, forward to the second edition in the big book that some of you got sitting on your lap, it tells you straight out. Of the people that came to our fellowship, about 65% were getting sober at once. Some, after a little in and out trip to find out if they really were one of us or not, have came back and did what we asked them to do and stayed sober. So by the time all the dust settled, we were having like about a 75% success rate. Now this is published two places in the big book. Back in the doctor's opinion, I mean, excuse me, back in the, in the forwards, and then back in the back in the last rewards of the, the medical profession, back in the appendix, it talks about it. Again, the archives are talking about it. Clarence S. There's books out here on the table that I noticed earlier this morning talking about Clarence Snyder. They had nearly 100% success rate around Cleveland. Dr. Bob around Akron, I'm telling you, damn near 100% success rate with the people coming into the fellowship. You can pick up any archive there is today. You can talk to any archivist. You can talk to New York. If you can get them past all the small talk, they'll finally get down to brass tacks and tell you, success rate in the United States right now sucks. That's a paraphrase. They will never say that. <laughs> but you can get it down in black and white that success rate in the United States is right around 20%. Our brothers and sisters over in Houston, Texas are experiencing about 8% success rate right now. You guys don't have to be rocket scientists. Look at your own meetings. Look at your own fellowships and watch the people come in and go back out. Come in and go back out. Come in and go back out. The group that I sobered up in, I uh, was, was talking to Scott this morning, you know, when, when Marguerite was there. We had a little dispenser with a little chip. It was like a bunko thing, you know, just slide chips out, you know. Who wants the chips? And everybody, everybody gets up and comes. Just like, is it because nobody's staying sober. Why? Because we were using our meetings as therapy groups. 
We were using our meeting as process groups. We were not using the meetings as pep rallies to talk about God. One more time, folks. This, and I didn't, I wish I'd thought this up. This is a spiritual program, folks. This is not, you know, alcoholism and drug addiction is not a behavioral problem. Mary didn't just get set on a potty backwards one time and wake up and say, well, goddamn, my parents were assholes. Now I'm an alcoholic. You know, they didn't. We've, we've got sociologists out there working overtime trying to figure out why this is. Isn't that the truth? You look up in Highland Village in North Texas, any of, the, any, of the, any of the ritzier places to live, you look in these big old homes, these big old subdivisions up there, and River Oaks over in Houston, Texas, and you, you guys, you, you go in there, and if you had a way to do this, you could pinpoint, you could try to figure out about 10% of those people in there are alcoholic and addict. And you go over to the other part, go down to Oak Cliff or go to some of these other parts where there's some areas in there where they're, that are riddled with poverty. There's some real poverty there. And you go through there and look and see, you've got about 10% alcoholic and addict there. Are there more drugs and alcohol in the poorer areas? There's a lot more drinking down there. But, it's, but given sufficient reason, those people can say, thank you, I've had enough. Push it away and go on back about their business. 10% across the board, folks. Men, women. But, but everybody wants to split hairs with this business. I tell you, if I say one thing from the podium, it's controversial, it's this. And everybody wants to come up and say, yeah, but you understand. You need to see, this had something to do with the rape. This had something to do with the molestation. This had something to do with Vietnam. This had something. I, I'm not saying that it didn't exasperate it. I'm not saying that it didn't, that you didn't drink over that. But I'm saying this. If you will go back to what the book says, given sufficient reason, why don't you deal with those issues and now go? You follow what I'm saying? Let me make a, make a kind of a point to you here. Uh, ten years ago, insurance companies used to pay for treatment like slot machine. Right? I mean, if you had the shittiest of policies, uh, they would pay for treatment. That's just the way it was. Within the last ten years, treatment via insurance companies has dropped by about 73%. Why? We got, we got, we need, we have less people that need it, or what? <laughs> no. Thank you, Mr. Crack Cocaine. We have twice as many people now that need it. Y'all understand what I'm saying? We, we got a nightmare out there. But why won't, why don't the insurance companies pay for it so, so readily? Because, oh, this is gonna be good. See, some of you, I'm gonna say this real quick. Too bad we're not passing the basket. We could pass it now so that you could get your dollar in before you stormed out the door. Because this is gonna piss some of you off. I'm just telling you straight. Because now, here's what we have. Now, here's what we have. We've got a whole bunch of people uh, coming to treatment, dealing with issues, walking back out of treatment, never picking up the big book, never going to 12-step meetings, never doing any 12-step work, never doing what we asked them to do, and, and, and they're not staying sober. And insurance companies, after years of abuse, finally said, we're not paying for that shit anymore. Why should we pay for Mike to come to treatments 15 fucking times? Why? No, but we've got to get straight with this. Why should we? We shouldn't. Because the solution is not if he's a real alcoholic and addict about his issues. Is he a better person when he... De- Look, come on. Use me as an example. I can't use Mike because he, he may sue me. Use me as an example. Pretend I'm issue man. At, 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 the, at the facility I work at, we, we draw this little guy on the board. And I looked for a board this morning. Couldn't find it. We were going to put him up there, you know. But pr- pretend I'm, I'm issue man, right? And see, why I'm drinking, it's about my name tag, is my little heart. I'm drinking because spiritually I'm in need... Of some rejuvenation. Isn't that right? Spiritually, I'm dead. Would everybody get on the same page with that? I mean, I'm not a happy camper. Jim telling his story this morning. Ray last night. I mean, gee, you're sitting in that chicken shit apartment on that old busted down couch watching that black and white television pouring you another drink. You are not happy. 
You know, people out there in the world, they think we're partying down. We're just, you just need to learn to quit partying so much. Folks, this, this is long beyond partying. That, that, that lady walking into that crack house that she was raped at two nights before is not going back to get some more party. Do y'all understand that? She's trying to get to a place with that crack cocaine so she can be okay inside. We've got to get straight with this business. The book says, I drink and drug for the effect produced by the drug. So, I'm standing up here, I'm spiritually bankrupt, I'm dying inside, and so what I want to do is get okay inside, right? (laughs) So now I've got about 15,000 people trying to help me, trying to treat everything outside. And I need to say this now, before I don't get it in later, a lot of this still goes on in my AA meetings today. It's called junior therapy sessions. Well, I just haven't been able to find a babysitter that's good, you know, that, 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 and that. And so we're going to spend the entire hour talking about babysitters. I, come on, right now. Everybody's done it. Everybody's setting meetings and just like that. Well, I'm going through a divorce and I need to talk about my divorce. Well, okay. How, how nice for you. Folks, I'm not, I'm not coming off any spiritual mountaintop. I did it for years. But I'm saying, what does the book ask us to do? The book asks us to talk about the hope and the power of God. But what are we doing? In there pissing and moaning about the traffic. In there talking about the probation officer. In there talking about antidepressants. In there talking about fucking relationships. In there talking about the kids. In there talking about everything under the sun except what we're supposed to talk about, which is the power of God. You know what I'm talking about, Sandy? I mean, God, you know, you got some stuff you need to talk about, hon. We all got stuff we need to talk about. That's why God gives us therapists. Go find one. But in my meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous and Cocaine Anonymous and N.A., in my meetings, we need to be talking about the power of God. We need to be talking about how can you have a spiritual experience. And if you want to talk about anything else besides that in my AA meeting, you're in the wrong place. We let it go every day. I hear it until I just want to puke. Well, she, she's just so upset. She just needs a place to share. Well, <laughs> go, so go to Denny's. I've said it a thousand times. We all do this, and we all applaud, and we all say, Chris, you're right, and then we'll go to a meeting tomorrow night, and there'll be some little lady there or some little guy there, and he'll be wanting to talk about his probation officer, and everybody will just cross their head and just kind of go off to sleep. And we'll just let them do it. You know what the proper response is there? He says, Bubba, Bubba, excuse me just a minute. We're not going to talk about that right now. You need to help find a sponsor. We can talk about that. (laughs) But right now, we're going to talk about the power of God. We're going to talk about how to have a spiritual experience so that you'll have the power to deal with all of that. Back to me. I'm convinced that my drinking in early days was all around loneliness and women. I was just like, my heart went out to, to the buckaroo this morning when he was talking. He was explain, talking about this loneliness. And, you know, adolescence is tough enough when you're a good-looking kid. When you're a little on the homely side, <laughs> it's a bitch. I'm just telling you, you know. And I'm blind in one eye and I, yeah, Jesus, this is, yeah. I mean, the cards are stacked against me. And I'm just, boy, if I could just get this blind to go out with me, everything would be okay. You know, you know the blind I'm talking about with the kahunas? Yes. If I could just get, you know, but see, here's what life does to us. And then the, the, we finally get to date the blonde, right? Y'all understand? What I'm, how many of y'all have ever done that? Be careful what you, what you pray for because you might get it. You know, oh God, please just send the brunette my way. And you wake up one morning and she's eating breakfast across from, right across the table from you. And you're watching her put them damn Cheerios in her mouth and she's hanging down and falling on the floor. And you think, God, if you could just, if you could just take this woman from me, you know, I'll never ask for another thing. 
Isn't that right? How many of you ever asked for a job that you, that you always want? If I could just, I was in the food business, right? If I could just get to be chef de parte, everything would be cool. Get to wear one of them big white hats. I could take this little chicken shit and throw it away. I got a big hat, what I want. And then, you know how God does? God takes care of his kids and then I get to wear the big hat. Boy, that's not good enough. Boy, if I could just get to be sous chef. Boy, if I could just get to be the tournant. Boy, if I could just get to be executive chef. I'm sitting in the chef's office drinking Kahlua one night and I'm thinking, God, you know, if I could just have that little barbecue place down on the corner. You know, isn't that right? And then you get the little barbecue place and you've got to be there all the time so you're snorting tons of cocaine and you're thinking, you know, God, if I could just get a catering company. You know what I'm saying? If I could just get out of this and sell food. Now, see, those salesmen, that's where the real money is. And if I was a salesman, I wouldn't have to drink. You got any salesmen in here? Yeah, I know. Shit, unbelievable. And, I, yeah, and I'm sitting up in Lake Texoma on the lake, and it's about 11 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, in the morning, and I'm drinking a 12-pack of beer, and I've got the one ads open. And I'm looking, and I said, you know, this sales shit ain't cut out the way I thought it was going to be, you know? I'm, so af- I'm too afraid to go make sales calls. So every day I go get my 12-pack and go to the lake. Some of you, like, you've never done that. You, you, never went, you never went to the movies when you were supposed to be out selling, huh? You lie like a dog. Okay. But here it is. I'm steady blaming everybody. Oh, if I could just get married. Oh, if we could just get unmarried. Oh, if I could just buy the house. Oh, if we could just sell the house. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Jesus. If it hadn't have been for this. If it hadn't been for that. If it hadn't have been for this. Sitting on, for years, sitting by the table in the old raggly apartment like we're talking about with a legal tablet there. And I'm going to write down all the reasons why I can't have a good relationship. Money. You know, personal hygiene. <laughs> Little pee-pee. I know. I mean, I've got it all figured out. <laughs> I wonder if we could pull that off the tape. I don't know how. Okay. But y'all see the whole picture here. Is that every one of y'all have done it. We're pointing, steady pointing fingers, blaming everybody else in the world. And so we come into AA or we go into a treatment facility and we want to do the same thing we've been doing for years. I want to tell you how to do this so that I can stay sober. And what's the truth, folks? And we've got to cut to the chase here, because I don't want to keep you guys real long. But we've got to cut to the chase. Do any of you think that we're going to be able to arrange your life so it will be so perfect that you won't have to drink? I mean, haven't we made that perfectly clear in this last hour? You know, your life, whether you've got money or don't have money, or you're in the relationship or out of the relationship, it's got nothing to do with whether or not you're going to be drinking or not. See? But we spend a lot of time trying to get you guys to organize your life so that you don't have to drink. Follow me? I love when they get the young adults in there. Oh, you know, they, you take away all that, that Metallica t-shirt. You know, you can't wear the Metallica t-shirt. You don't listen to that rock and roll music. And you can't do this. I mean, they, I just go ahead and do it. What the hell? I mean, they talk about it in treatment all the time in therapists. They talk about this fucking triggers list. You know what I mean? Well, we got to get down straight with this business. What is this? You're going to make me a list of things that you think are causing you to drink, and we're going to get rid of all of that, and you're still going to be drinking, so why mess with it? Am I drinking because Metallica's turned up loud at the house? Give me a break! Was I drinking when it was, when it was, when it was asleep at the wheel? When it was Merle Haggard? It doesn't matter. All of you women, you're triggering me, even as we speak. Oh, but I mean, we, we, look at the, we look at these people coming through treatment. We tell them this was serious. But, now, you need to be careful. My father went through treatment in Dallas, Texas. And they told him what he needed to do if he wanted to stay sober was divorce his wife. 
Didn't say anything about going to meeting and getting involved with you guys and going to do 12-step work down at the halfway house. Didn't say anything about getting out of his selfish, self-centered self by trying to help somebody else. He just said, you need to dump the woman and then you can stay sober. This is absolute heresy. And I'm going to tell you what, it's another form of abuse. It's another form of abuse. The absolute arrogance of me to sit here and tell you what you need to do with your life. I don't even know what I need to do with my life. How am I going to sit here and tell you what to do with your life? we got too many people sharing opinions with us in meetings. We have the solution right here. Oh, what did that sign say? A common solution? I think so. Common solution. One solution. Works for me. Works for the young adults. Works for the gays, the straights, blacks, whites. The disease is the same. Do you all understand? If my friend James has got diarrhea and I got diarrhea, there's a pretty good chance that the same damn medication is going to help him as helps me. Isn't that the truth? I could probably have come up with a different analogy on that, buddy, but you know. But I think the graphic illustration was taken, right? But we have people in meetings, as long as we're on that topic, telling people to just don't drink. But you see, where in the big book does it say that? Didn't we just say that we were without... Turn to page... 23, 24. We're going to do this. I'm going to let you guys out of here. I had a bunch to do here, but I'm going to run out of time. On 24, there's a paragraph in italicis. Bill Wilson, uh, this is probably the most controversial paragraphs in the big book. And it's absolutely heresy to read it in AA meetings. So be sure you don't do it because you'll you'll piss somebody off. And we don't want to do that, for Christ's sake. (sighs) I'm more concerned with you and your sensitive little feelings than I am with whether or not you find the power of God. So let's get straight here. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory and suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. Did you hear what I just said? We are without defense against the first drink. That's why Bill Wilson understands that the, the, the absolute necessity to have this spiritual experience because, because you may be able to keep yourself sober today. That's why we teach you the stuff in treatment, some of the stuff, the triggers list, the, the, the preventive things that we ask you guys to do. If going back and hanging out in that old bar was a, if you drank at, if staying out of that bar would help you stay sober till you get your feet on the ground, then that's why we do that. You understand? But see, the message has been so watered down, we've got so many people believing that what we're trying to explain to you is that that's going to keep you sober. That if I just stay out... Uh, how many of you guys have ever taken a geographical cure? You know, I can't tell you how disheartened I was when I found out there was alcohol in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> but I went there with a, with a clear understanding that I was going to get sober over there. The problem is I took this spiritual malady with me, right? This internal condition. Unbelievable. We're going to be unable to remember the horror stories that happened to us even a week or a month ago. Isn't that what the book just said? So let me ask you a question just for grins. Why do we spend so much time in our meetings telling war stories? You know, we have these little conventions and conferences like this where we get to get up here, Ray, and people get up and share the, the torture they've been through. And I'm telling you what, if you weren't touched by the two speakers that we've heard so far, something's wrong with you. The miracles that they went through. But if I haven't had a spiritual experience and the internal condition reaches such a point that I get caught in what the book calls a mental blank spot. I won't remember Ray's sad story, and I won't remember Jim's, and I promise you I won't remember yours. I'm not even going to remember mine. I'm just going to pick up a drink and go use. You cannot scare an alcoholic into sobriety. 
That's absolutely right. But we, we continue to do it in meetings till I want to puke. Why are, why are all the people coming to us in a treatment facility situation? Listen, folks, I sobered up in Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank God there were people there that could give me the solution to what I needed to do. I didn't sober up in treatment. Not Again, I'm not knocking treatment. A bunch of people in here got sober in treatment. But I'm telling you, what's going to keep them sober is not the treatment. What's going to keep them sober is the power of God that they're going to find in these rooms every day. When they go to that noon meeting, absolutely. Absolutely. When they go to that noon meeting, that brown baggers meeting across town, and they're sitting down there eating a ham sandwich, and they're in that room full of people and listen to people talk about how their lives have been changed because of the power of God, they're going to walk out of that room absolutely convicted that what they're doing is right. And as they go work with other alcoholics, they're going to know that they're on the right path because they're outside themselves. And you'll follow what I'm saying? But if they happen to be unlucky enough to end up in a pissing and moaning contest in one of these meetings where everybody wants to sit around and commiserate about their problems, they may get up and go drink. What did the book say on the same page? Our common problem is but one element of the powerful cement that binds us. But that in itself could not hold us together. It's our common solution that holds us together. If you're walking back into a meeting and sharing anything but positive, powerful stuff, you are wrong. You're wrong. And the arrogance of you to think you can do it. Why did we have 75, 100% getting sober back then? Because they didn't do that shit. AA was not a therapy group. AA was a pep rally. Well, it's the truth. AA was a pep rally. Come on, folks. 11 years sober. I'm a man that could not not drink. I did not want to hurt those women. I did not want to hurt anybody. I didn't want to cheat my employer. I didn't want to hurt my family. The disease took me to some terrible places. You think I wanted to eat out of those dumpsters in Houston, Texas? Please give me a break. Alcohol will take you to places that you don't want to be. And But we can walk back into these rooms and talk about it until the cows come home and nothing's going to change. We know what the problem is, folks. Does anybody have the solution? Does Mike coming into the first meeting of AA, does he want to hear my stupid-ass dumpster stories? If he's having a little problem identifying, we can get with him after the meeting or before the meeting and, and identify a little bit. But what he needs to hear is the fact that my life is on fire today. That I've got the coolest thing going and, and I didn't have nothing to do with it. All I did was show up and let you people show me what to do and my life's been on fire ever since. I got plenty of money. God, I'm walking back here getting coffee and it's a quarter and I'm dropping a dollar in. What is that about? Where did I get that money? Where do I get all those bicycles? Where did I get that great wife? Where did I get that little rock house? Come on, God, you better believe it. Eleven years and I have not obsessed about alcohol or cocaine. Where did that come from? Then that goddamn arrogance of me to walk into a meeting and think that I can bore you with some trivial, stupid inconvenience that I'm going through today. Everybody wants to let them off the hook. Instead of shutting them down and telling them to shut their mouth, you ungrateful son of a bitch, everybody wants to let them off the hook. Well, they've got to have a place to share. I'm going to say it again. Come see me after the meeting. Come see me before the meeting. Let's go find a therapist. Let's go find a professional. Let's go talk to a lawyer about that divorce. Don't take up my hour of recovery time talking about your stuff. I've got one responsibility. To help you get on the spiritual path so that you can find the relationship with God that you've always wanted. 
To wake up in the morning, to sit down in this garden this morning and cry crocodile tears because it's just so cool out there. You know, it's just gorgeous. To watch men and women that I watched come in and absolutely burnt toast and to watch them out there kicking butt and taking names today. Did I do that? Shit, no, God did that. The credit goes to God. When we get back on square one, when we start talking about this stuff in our meetings again, we'll have success rate just like we did back in the olden days. We'll have people getting sober and staying sober. Relapse prevention. It's a, it's a, my sponsor sitting over here. It's an oxymoron. You can't keep yourself sober. You can keep yourself sober today, maybe, and maybe tomorrow, but there will come a time, if you'll read the stories in, in, the, in the book, when it talks about Jim, the car salesman, remember that one? And old Fred, the businessman, and it talks about that mental blank spot. Say this and let you out of here. On page 36, there's a book, there's a, there's a story again about Jim, the car salesman. And it talks about this cat. <laughs> let me give you this little story. We'll do this real quick. <laughs> this is me. This is every one of you in here, man or woman, young or old, you can identify with what they're saying here. He says, this, this first cat we're going to talk about is called Jim. This is about four paragraphs, guy. Don't go to sleep on me. Stick with me here. This man has a charming wife and family. He's inherited a lucrative automobile agency. He's a commendable war record. He's a good salesman. Doesn't this sound like Ray? We talked about him last night. Jim, doesn't this sound like these guys we just heard? Everything's going rosy in their life. Got a lot of future, good future ahead. He's an intelligent man. He did no drink until he was 35. He's a late bloomer. In a few years, he became so violent, uh, we had to lock him up. On leaving the asylum, it, he said he came into contact with us. What's us? Treatment center? Detox unit? Us. AA. You. You. Came in touch with us. We told this guy what we knew of alcoholism and the answer we had found. What? What? The answer? The common solution. You better believe it. We told him what we knew. Not what we, what we suspected, what we thought, what we knew. That God worked for us and He would work for you. Our combined experience of the first hundred. We didn't need your damned opinions involved in this. Thank you. I'm a product of good sponsorship. Thank you, Houston. He made a beginning. What's that mean? It means he did a third step prayer. He made a start. He started going to meetings. His family was reassembled and he began to work as a salesman for the business he had lost through drinking. All went well for a time. What does it say? But he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. What did it say? All went well for a time, but he started listening to Metallica again. <laughs> he started riding Harleys with them damn hippie sons of bitches. No, it didn't say any of that, did it? Jesus, guys. Oh, he started... He started thinking about women again. No. It says it's, he, he failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life. He stopped putting God first through self-sacrifice. means he, he wasn't doing any 12-step work. To his consternation, we found himself drunk half a dozen times. No, no, no. On each occasion, we worked with this guy. Exactly what we do when you guys relapse. We come up and say, what happened? And you tell us. He agreed he was the real alcoholic now, and he's in serious condition. He knew he faced another trip to the treatment center if he kept on. Moreover, he's going to lose his family completely if he doesn't stop. Now, you follow me? The first time he was going to try to get sober, he had some shit going on in his life. But now, he's really in trouble. Yeah, right? I hear it every day in treatment. How many times is the treatment is this? Well, this is my 20th time, but, but now I really mean it this time. What's the truth? You meant it the first time. 
You didn't want to drink and drug the first time. You meant it the first time. The power is you thought that you had the power to pull it off and stay sober on your own power. Boy, somebody's got to tell you the truth. Yet he got drunk again. Top of page 36. We asked this guy to tell us exactly what happened. Here's his story. Here's a great story. One of the biggest minimizers in the world. He says, I came to, everybody understands. I came to work on a Tuesday morning. I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. Y'all understand this? I've been working for this place for about two weeks and I ain't president yet and I'm pissed. We're not remembering that they pulled us out of the gutter and gave us a job. We're not even grateful for that. All we're doing is pissing and moaning because we ain't the, we ain't the king yet, right? Then I, it says, it says, I had a few words. <laughs> this is the biggest minimized thing in the, in, in the... I had a few words with a boss, but nothing serious. <laughs> Mike, he told him to kiss his ass, didn't he? He didn't. He didn't. He went, he didn't want to, he went straight up and says, listen, you, you don't know who you're talking to here. <laughs> I've done that a thousand times. Oh, Jesus. Then I decided to drive into the country and see one of my prospects for a car. Now, this always makes sense. You guys in sales understand this. If you want to sell something, you go to the least populated part of the world to go find a customer. What's the truth? The truth is the guy didn't want to sell shit. He wanted to be left alone. Isn't that right? He wanted to grind his teeth and think about that son of a bitch that dissed him back there at the office. That's right. Okay. On the way, I felt hungry, so I stopped at the roadside place, blah, blah, blah. I had no intention of drinking. I just thought I'd get a sandwich. I also had a notion that I might find a customer for a car in this place. I used to sell I used to sell European specialty products when I was in Houston, you know. And but, but I always found myself around lunchtime in one of those titty bars over there by the airport, you know. And it's like <laughs> I turn a lot of product in those. <laughs> what are we nuts or what? What is this? All right, here's what it said. I'd eaten there many times before, blah, 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 and I stayed sober. I sat down at a table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. Still no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. Here it is, the greatest line in the book. Suddenly, I love it, I love it. Suddenly, the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in this milk, it couldn't hurt me. I ordered another whiskey, poured it into the milk. I vaguely sensed it wasn't being any too smart. Duh. But felt reassured as I was taking this whiskey on a full stomach. The experiment went so well that I ordered another, and then he ordered another. Jesus Christ, in 15 minutes, he's had three shots of whiskey. Y'all follow what I'm saying? Because it wasn't the last shot, it was the first one. If he could have just stayed away from the first one, he wouldn't be one of us, would he? But you see the mental blank spot. It, the word suddenly is an italicized. Suddenly, <laughs> I remembered my triggers list. No, no. <laughs> Suddenly, I remembered what my sponsor said about eating out of the dumpster. No, folks, every one of you in this place, every one of you in this place can tell me examples when you got, you got sidewised, you got knocked, in the, when suddenly took place in your life. You follow me? You had every reason to stay sober. You had everything going for you. You were on the mend. Everything was okay. Just like you talking about this morning. I'm just going to have one glass of champagne. Where does the crazy thinking come from? It comes from the disease of alcoholism, folks. And that crazy thinking will continue to come back until you recover. And once you recover, the book says sanity returns. And then you can come and go as you please. The book says later on in the story, it says self-knowledge avails us nothing. 
If self-knowledge availed as much of anything around drinking and drugging, folks, why do we have so many licensed chemical dependency counselors coming through treatment at our facility? I'm not knocking those people. They're the salt of the earth. If you can get near one and spend some time with them, they're worth every penny they charge. You follow me? Why do we have so many doctors and lawyers and psychiatrists coming through treatment? Because self-knowledge can't fix what's wrong with you. God can. ABCs. God could and would if he were sought. And that's the bottom line. I'm going to back out of this real quick. Try to mend some feelings because I know I've stepped on some of you. I want to go on record now because people have taken stuff I've said for years and screwed it around to their way of thinking. I am not knocking therapy. Therapy is wonderful. I'm not knocking treatment. If you're relapsing and you have any chance to go to treatment, it's a wonderful experience. Please do. But if you think for a second that that therapist will get you sober, if you think for a second that treatment center will get you sober and keep you sober, you are mistaken. I will never back off that. That's what the book says. God keeps me sober. God keeps me sober. And my only job today is to stay connected to God. So what do I do? I work the steps with a sponsor who's had a spiritual experience as a result of the steps. I continue to have daily meditation and prayer like we were talking about this morning. And most, most absolutely on top of everything, I place myself so that I can be of service to you. I am at your beck and call 24 hours a day if you want to talk about the power of God. Everything I have today, including my life, comes from the power of God. The only thing God asked me to do is give back a little bit. The book says a price has to be paid. The problem with so many of us in AA today is that we're not willing to pay the price. We think because we went to treatment and spent a bunch of goddamn money that we paid the price. We did not. The people that are paying the price are the people down at the halfway house holding those people's hands, walking them through the steps. The people that are paying the price are back at the detox center helping those nurses volunteer, helping those people carrying the message of hope back into those facilities. The people that are paying the price are sitting on the front row in our AA meetings waiting for the newcomer to come in the door to reach out and hold them. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to take exception with something that Ray said because he let, he, he, let, he let some AA buckaroos that I know off the hook way too easy. I sat up there in North Texas and nearly died for eight years waiting for you to come up and tell me what the solution is. We need to understand quite clearly that the newcomer doesn't understand what to ask. I don't know what a big book is. No, y'all, some of y'all have heard me talk about it. I walked around for two weeks up there in AA land, up there trying to find a big book. I walked into B. Dalton's and, and, and all these bookstores and I said, guys, I, I, I need a big book. Because you're not saying you need a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You said, I need a big book. I need a big book. And the, and the little salesperson looks and she's a nice little girl. I'll never forget the look on her face. And she says, well, how big a book do you need? And she's confused and she's no more confused than me because I don't know what to tell her. I just know that a bunch of you have got these books and I finally went up to an old timer and the old timer says, buddy, bless you, come here. And he opened, opened a door and there was two cases of books in there and he got, he got me a big book and I think it was five bucks and, and, and back. the newcomer doesn't know what to ask and it's not the newcomer's responsibility to come up to your lazy ass and stick his hand out and say, hey, I knew. It's your responsibility to be there for the newcomer. It's, uh, it's, 
The book says we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and addicts who still suffer. We tried to carry this message. Doesn't mean we sat on the front porch and, and thought about our own little shit. Listen, folks, I know I got some problems, and you got problems, and you need some time to talk about that. But in an AA meeting, you need to have your little eyeball peeled for the newcomer coming in the door. Is the guy getting the kind of sponsorship that he's supposed to have? You see? Bill Wilson wrote it in the archives, folks. And, and it's there in... Um, um, AA Comes of Age, it was out of old grapevine letters, written back in 1958. And, I, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big history of AA, and I'm loving this stuff. But Bill Wilson's saying is this, and I'm going to close with this. He says, Alcoholics Anonymous is not going to be, this is a paraphrase, I don't have it in front of me. I looked for it, couldn't find it. He says, Alcoholics Anonymous is not going to be destroyed from the outside. The world loves us, you know. We're off the street, you know. We, we ain't messing with their daughters no more. They love us being here, you know. He says, AA is not going to be destroyed from the outside. It's going to be destroyed from the inside. And just like individual people like Mary and Mike and James, just like we have to take our own inventory and do our own work in the 12 steps, AA must do the same thing too. And when James finds a flaw in his character, he takes it to God and tries to change. And AA better change. We better stop sitting on our ass doing it the way we're doing it now because it ain't working. No, you got in under the door. You're doing this. Well, I made it. Why can't you? But let me tell you this. If our success rates are so low, could it possibly be? And this is what Bill Wilson's asking us to look at, even back as far as 1958. Could it possibly be that the people today are not getting the kind of sponsorship that we got back when we got sober? I travel around a lot, folks, and I get to see it. Are we doing what we're supposed to do in our meetings? Are we carrying that message of hope? Are our meetings pep rallies? Or have they denigrated into a therapy group where we try to process your chicken shit feelings? You want to feel better? Let me just put it. You want to feel better? You go to the next AA meeting that you're at, and you find the most busted up buckaroo in there. And you go up to him and you get him a cup of coffee. And you sit down with him in the book. And you help him find a sponsor. Or you sponsor him better still. And you start him on the spiritual journey. And you watch the light come on in his eyes. When he finally realizes that he has some hope. That he don't ever have to get up and drink again. That he don't ever have to go back into that fucking crack house. He don't ever, ever have to do the things that he's been doing just to get through the day. And you sit down with a minute, get out of yourself, spend a few moments with this cat, and watch the miracle take place. Watch the circle and triangle come alive to you when you realize that this is about wholeness and what goes around comes around. I owe those people in North Texas that finally got me and got me the book. I owe them my life. Somebody said the other day, I've said it a thousand... Chris, you're too busy. You need to slow down. You need to quit speaking so much. You mind your own goddamn business. I'll take care of my, my social schedule. When, he says, when is your debt to AA going to be paid off? My mom asked me that question one time. I said, what do you mean? From a man that could not not drink, who tried to commit suicide dozens of times, sitting in apartments just like Ray was talking about, just all busted up, living from paycheck to paycheck, with no home, the depression just choking me. I'm taking antidepressants. I, I, I just want to die. And I had a spiritual experience. Nothing's fancy, nothing great. Just a garden variety, by God, you better believe, life-changing experience as a result of somebody caring enough to give me the message of hope. Not to pat me on the head and just let me sit in the meetings, but to give me the message of hope. I owe them my life. And I'll pay that debt until I die. Gladly. The cool news is, is a whole bunch of you are doing the same thing. 
everybody that comes to that facility, we monitor after they leave. You know who stands over? The people that are going to Round Rock Study Point Group, the people that are going to Hope Group, the people that are doing the deal, the people that are sponsoring people, right? We guys been out of treatment two months sponsoring people. Old timers giving them a hard time. You ain't been sober long enough. Show me in the book where it says that. At least they're off there dead ass trying to excite something about the fellowship. This ain't about ego. This is about God. This is about power. If this tide of alcoholism and drug addiction is going to be changed, it is not going to be changed through treatment centers, folks. It is not going to be changed through therapists. We are throwing money at it and we're pissing in the wind. It will be changed by the power of God. It will be changed by the power of one alcoholic sharing with a new alcoholic. One drug addict, one crack addict sharing with a new crack addict. Y'all follow me? Until you've walked into a room and sat down and watched somebody that you've had something to do with carrying the message of hope to them and you see how this chain, you, you ain't lived. You don't know what high is until you see that what the power of God can do. You watch people come through this shit that, would, that kept them in psychiatric units for years all of a sudden to come clear on the other side and be a powerful unit in this fellowship. Out there making plenty of money in great relationships. How did that all happen? It happened because they got out of themselves for a minute and helped somebody else. Selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of my problems. We've talked about our own shit long enough, folks. It's time to go help somebody else. God's in the pots and the pans. That's what my sponsor taught me. God's in the trenches. He's not up on some fucking spiritual mountaintop. He's in the trenches, cleaning up puke, taking people to meetings, Sitting down when you're so damn tired you can't stand it to sit down and say, okay, start on the title page and doing what you're supposed to do, which is called carry the message of hope. Thank you so much for letting me be here.